Is it that we collectively thought Steve Jobs was a great man when we knew he made billions off the backs of children? Or maybe it's that it feels like all our heroes are counterfeit, the world itself just one big hoax, spamming each other with our burning commentary of bullshit, masquerading as insight, our social media faking as intimacy, or is it that we voted for this? Not with our rigged elections, but with our things, our property, our money. I'm not saying anything new, we all know why we do this, not because Hunger Games books make us happy, but because we want to be sedated. Because it's painful not to pretend because we're cowards. Fuck society. Hi, I'm Robert. I'm Sarah. And this is Pump Up the Minute. Before we get into minutes 93 to 96... I would like to share the five best female-fronted punk rock bands who should have been included in Pump Up the Minute and weren't because the only female artist... Should have been included in Pump Up the Volume. Pump Up the Volume. They are being included in Pump Up the Minute. (laughs) Thank you. Good point. Yes. The movie gave us Concrete Blonde and a whole lot of... Men. Yes. (laughs) So let's rectify that right now and talk about the five female artists who should have been included in this film. So first, Patti Smith of the Patti Smith Group. She was in one of the most influential bands on the New York City punk rock scene. She's been referred to as the Punk Poet Laureate. And her group released four albums and dominated punk in the United States. Her debut album with her band Horses is lauded as one of the greatest albums to come out of the American punk rock movement. I think People Have the Power song should have been included in this film. People Have the Power was released in 1988, and it's occurring a lot of the <laughs> I was just going to say, did she have a film? recent song? She does. She, she did, did uh. yes. People have the power, the power to dream, to rule, to wrestle the world from fools. It's decreed the people rule, it's decreed the people rule. I believe everything we dream can come to pass through our union. We can turn the world around, we can turn the earth's revolution. We have the power, people have the power. It would have been perfect. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Next, one we likely all know, well, hopefully we all know Patti Smith too, but (laughs) next, Blondie and Debbie Harry. So. While she didn't have a song that completely fit the time frame of the film, not every song in this film, though, was from 88 and 89, she, along with guitarist Chris Stein, was, yeah, just known for combining a mix of genres, including punk, pop, disco, rap, and Pump Up the Volume is a very punk-slash-rap film and does Mm -hmm. a lot of this mixing of genres. Therefore, I think her song Rapture could have been included in this film. And this was the first song featuring a rap to ever top the charts. And while I also need to mention that that's white appropriation of black music, and we can't (laughs) brush that aside, Debbie Harry was an actual part of the late 70s New York punk scene and regularly associated with and played with rap and reggae artists in a joint fight against mainstream music culture and for that reason she's a good fit for <laughs> this yeah. film it says don't strain your brain paint a train you'll be singing in the rain i said don't stop to punk rock well now you see what you want to be just have your party on tv or in the case of pump up the volume on the radio but <laughs> third i think we should have Susie and the banshees mm-hmm. in this film music critic paul rambali 
praised their debut album, The Scream, said it was the most original intoxicating guitar playing he'd heard in a long, long time, and is now regarded as a landmark post-punk album. And why it fits with Pump Up the Volume is this album was essentially documenting the suburbia they grew up in, and their best track, Spellbound, and don't forget, when your elders forget to say their prayers, take them by the legs and throw them down the stairs. That has very pump up the volume yeah. <laughs> energy, and we should have heard spe- Spellbound in this film. Next, Courtney Love, Hole. I'm cheating a little bit here. Yes, but she didn't <laughs> exist on. yet. She did exist. <laughs> she did exist. <laughs> um, she's an American alternative rock band, um, which was, of course, founded by Courtney Love, However, she was technically playing from 1989, and there were other songs and albums in this film that were released after the film was recorded. So if we know about these other new and upcoming artists and we're deep in the punk scene by 1989, we should know who Courtney Love is. Her song, Teenage Horror, so very fitting lyrics. I think of Mark's reaction to his parents here. When she says, I've seen your repulsion and it looks real good on you. I don't want to live what you had, what you put me through. <laughs> and finally, I think polystyrene's x-ray spec should have been included in this film. And I think it should have been included for Nora. I think Nora would have been a great fan of theirs. And I think that it probably, this band inspired her poetry. In their debut single, Oh Bondage Up Yours, She sings, chain store, chain smoke, I consume you all, chain gang criminal, I don't think at all. Thrash me, crush me, beat me till I fall, I want to be a victim for you all. Bind me, tie me, chain me to the wall, I want to be a victim to you all. Huh. That's actually (laughs) close enough, it almost seems like a reference Moyle was going for. Exactly, and if this is a reference we're going for, why aren't we hearing any of these women? Where is polystyrene in this film? Yeah, maybe Mark and Nora could hang out. She could introduce them to some (laughs) new music, and then he puts it on the radio. Where is Nora's polystyrene poster Hmm. on her wall? (laughs) She would have been a fan. Polystyrene had been around for years um, in the punk scene by the time this film was recorded and i could have kept going but i feel like five makes the point pretty well these songs i think specifically fit the film sadly we don't get to hear any of these awesome women or their songs or their lyrics or their voices in a film about lifting up voices well it's okay because nora has like one more line of dialogue so it's gonna be fine yeah we begin this segment with police cars at the intersection we've seen a couple times already fast lane is still playing we cut to the field, and Crispin, that's the bad reporter, the blonde with bad questions about homework, is ordering her cameraman around. We see teens dancing like they're at a square dance, which, unfortunately, in my notes, I call them dorks, because what are they doing? But then we see Watson in his limo, and he says to his driver, just drive over them. And my note in here was just, America. Yeah, no. for ourselves, right? <laughs> protesters. But yeah. was he referring to the protesters or the jeep? Well, partiers more than protesters. No, because he's not on the phone talking to the van people. He's talking oh. to his driver. Yeah. We, he was just surrounded by the teenagers. So this is right after that. Yeah, he's basically saying drive over the teenagers. Because, <sighs> of course, surrounding a limo is punishable by death. Then we see some of the teens, including Joey and Jamie, and flipping off, I guess it's the limo. The angle's not clear. And then we see the Jeep on the same block of Grove Park as we saw several times last segment. Mark looking back at the vehicle following them. I would point out, I have several complaints in this segment. 
his harmonizer is not strapped to the box in the back like it was, which no wonder it falls down. It's not attached to anything. And the FCC truck we see speeding down that same block. And then we see a police car behind one FCC truck and another truck going the other way trying to turn around. This chase is really sad. There is no sense of location or direction or anything because they keep just filming on the same city block. Um, I would reference, if you care about car chases in film or location mattering in the same, uh, find Jim Emerson's video about the truck chase in the dark night. I think it's on Vimeo. And it is awesome, where he explains why editing and placement of things matters in chase scenes. Uh, we cut to Nora, we cut to the Jeep turning off-road, which this road, by the way, is on Grove Park. So it is in the right place. And it goes right up to by the pipe and by the school where they end up. So location suddenly matters. Uh, though the harmonizer is should not be in Mark's lap, and in the wide shot is not in Mark's lap, it seems to fall off his lap when it falls. And we get an insert shot of it falling onto the floor, and the music stops, even though the music is not coming from the harmonizer, but from the cassette player in the Jeep. Mark says, oh, geez, my harmonizer. He leans down and to pick it up, and Nora says, forget it, hold on, I've got to get us out of here. And we see this is another location problem. The Jeep is curving to one direction, and the camera switches, and it's now curving the other direction, coming around the road up on the hill. Uh, if we are paying attention, though, we might notice the pipe and realize where they are, that they're up above the school, even before they realize it. And Nora picks up the harmonizer, even though Mark leaned down for it. And the camera rises with it to Mark saying, I needed that to disguise my voice. Nora says, well, give me a minute. Maybe we can fix it, which some wires have been pulled out of the side of it, apparently. Uh, but Mark stands up because he sees, he says Jesus, and we see what he sees, the field with a lot of cars the news vans, the smaller FCC truck, and the limo. And he says, look at this. And he says, fuck it, I'm going on without the thing. And we get a wider shot that includes Nora as he reaches down and picks up the microphone. And he does nothing to go on the air, which means this whole conversation should have still been on the air without the harmonizer. Yeah. Because all he does is pick up the mic. And Nora says, no, I think I've got it. But he, well, he's just going to talk. But there's a bigger problem. There's no wire going to his antenna anymore either, so he shouldn't even be on the air. It's awesome. These are things I never notice in <laughs> film, like errors in film that I just don't pick up on. Like when people talk about also like continuity errors or things that are missing yeah. from scenes, I never notice that. My head is always in like the theoretical parts of yeah. the film, and I'm well, not a good visual person. Yeah, but it's also good to be able to... Be grounded in reality yeah. and see things. Well, it's like the, pol- the police cars at the intersection. I'm like, they're going the wrong way. Yeah. <laughs> they're not going to get there. They're going on to the wrong street in the wrong direction. But uh, at this point, it does actually make more sense in the musical that Nora could help with the harmonizer. I mean, we don't know that she has technical skills, but it didn't get broken. They're on foot in the musical. The harmonizer is attached to his backpack and got knocked off brushing against a tree. So Nora just leaves him alone to go back and get it. And that's when Lieutenant Hunter, Mark's father who's a cop in the musical, shows up. Says, hands where I can see them. Not so clever now, huh, Harry? Where's the brilliant retort? Those witty comebacks. Turn around nice and slow. I can't wait to see the look on your face. Mark turns around. Says, Mark? No. No, this can't be. My son cannot be this pervert, this troublemaker. You? He says, Dad. He says, no, you have no right to say anything. Dad, let me. Don't dad me. You are not my son. Do you know how many people are after you? People I respect. Hard work, rules-abiding people doing their job. And Mark says, for God's sake, how loud do I have to scream for you to listen to me? 
I needed to talk to somebody, anybody. What did I have? I didn't have friends. I didn't have a mother. And the musical's mother is dead, I believe. So she's not part of the show. I certainly didn't have a father. All I had was some stupid radio, and so I screamed into the emptiness, hoping someone would listen, and they did. A few more lines go on, nothing that exciting. Nora shows up. That's when the father meets her for the first time. And they hear the crowd chanting in the distance. Wow. But this is so accurate because an authoritarian parent will sell their kid immediately out for their community and their friends and everyone in church who's going to judge them oh, yeah. if their child is, is gay People have respect or rebellious or, care. or is something that they deem undesirable. But it's like either... Just having flashbacks to childhood, just hearing yeah. that whole dialogue. Either meeting Nora and she <laughs> points out that she's in love with his son. Or hearing the chanting in the distance, Lieutenant Hunter changes his mind. He says, go on, son, we're going to have to take you downtown, but first, I think you ought to go finish what you started. And then Mark goes on the air without the voice disguiser, and that's the song you can find on YouTube, one of their sample ones, uh, Keep the Air Alive. Oh, what is that? What is that? <laughs> it's a song. I've actually, uh Alex Brightman is the singer. Oh, okay. This is for the last song. I think it's the last song of the musical. I'm just being snarky since I didn't look up any music for today's show other than the five women well, this, who was That's from the musical, so I didn't yeah. tell you that one anyway. <laughs> but, um yeah, that's already on the playlist for the show at, in this spot. And then Mark comes on. His The song lyrics are similar to what he says in this music movie, so we'll just go there. As we get a bit of an echo from below because all the loudspeakers, he says, okay, this is really me now. No more hiding. Listen, uh, we're all worried. We see Paige picking up her radio and sitting down with it. I think she's leaning on the limo, which is funny. We're all in pain. That just, that just comes with having eyes, with having ears. But just remember one thing. We see Maz and he's back in his car already, even though he was just up on the gym. It can't get any worse. It can only get better. I mean, we see Janie and Jamie sitting together. High school is the bottom. We see Joey lounging in the speaker truck. Being a teenager sucks, but that's the point. Surviving it is the whole point. Quitting is not going to make you strong. We see some boy we don't know. Living will. So just hang on and hang in there. We get a shot of the speaker truck with Donald, Corey. Joey's gone. Uh, we see some girl we don't know. And in the script, it says, The kids are sobered as they realize Mark is taking it to a new level. Beautiful faces looking upward and outward. And Mark continues in the script, but things can change, and so can you. It's no accident that Gorbachev and Michael Jackson are heroes around the world. I guess I'm glad that reference wasn't in there. Yeah. It wouldn't have aged as well. (laughs) But it isn't them, it's what they're saying. A healing of some kind. And we go back to what he says in the movie. You know, I know all about the hating and the sneering. We We get a shot of Holden. He's near the speaker truck with Donald behind him. We see another kid we don't know. And he says, I'm a member of the why bother generation myself, but why did I bother to come out here tonight and why did you? And we see Mark with Nora getting out of the Jeep behind him and walking over behind him. Blurry again, so she's just the background. He says, I mean it's time, it begins with us. Not with politicians, the experts or the teachers, but with us, with you and me, the ones who need it most. And we see some boy with Eric and then another boy and then either Gordon or Doug. I know they're two different people, but I don't know which is which. And then we get Mark and Nora again as he says, I do believe with everything that's in me that the whole world is longing for healing. We see another girl we don't know. We see the girl with the wedding dress. Pan over to Donald and some other girl. We see Cheryl. And he says, even even the trees and the earth itself is crying out, are crying out for it. Got a little environmental mm-hmm. call here 30 years later. Wow, that's sad. Hopefully everyone just knows, yeah. but I mean, you can hear it everywhere. 
And in the script, it says we get close-ups of the handsome and hopeful young faces, all special in some way, all lovingly and painstakingly chosen. Each face is flawed in some way, but lit by an inner light. Little humans that reflect the best qualities of the human condition. And Mark says, it's the same kind of healing I desperately needed and finally feel has begun with you. Of course, the audience probably assumes he's talking to them down in the field, but he turns around and looks at Nora as he says this. But they get interrupted by a helicopter. And we get a wide shot, the jeep by the pipe, a helicopter flying over. It turns on its spotlight, drumbeat kicks in. Mark and Nora run back to the jeep, and I would point out that instead of a random drumbeat and the score, it was supposed to be the dance mix portion of the song Pump Up the Volume by M-A-R-R-S. Another song I refuse to look up. <laughs> M-A-R-R... M-A-R-R-A-S doesn't have any women in it, does it? I don't think so. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, Just saying, because I only <laughs> looked up women for today's show. So. Well, the song might, because the song is a whole bunch of samples put together. Yeah. Uh, it's the only single recording by M-A-R-R-S. They are an electronic group, they are electronic group Colorbox, an alternative rock band, A.R. Kane, recording together, basically on a whim. Uh, among other things, it samples its title from I Know You Got Soul by Eric B. and Rakeem. Mm. And, oh, I know who they are. And yeah. <laughs> it, it's basically a lot of samples. And if you watch the video, it's a bunch of footage of like the space race. It's, it's interesting and seems to be where the movie takes its title, but then they didn't include this song. Probably because they realized, wait, we need a woman song here. They're like, we can't find one. Well, just <laughs> get the score anywhere. guy in here. It's fine. <laughs> The Jeep backs up to turn around. Uh, police cars are coming. The Jeep goes down the hill. We get a shot of the helicopter. Quick side note for me. We see the number on the side of the helicopter, N555TH. And in case you care, it's a 1973 Bell 206B serial number 1173. As recently as 2018, it's owned by Weed Hopper Aviation in Sparks, Nevada. Uh, only movies I could confirm it was in other than this are Loaded Weapon 1 in 93, Hijack in 99, and Samurai Cop in 1991. If you know that movie, this is the helicopter for it's warm and ready. And you'll know how stupid that is. <sighs> One of the worst movies ever. And that was would have been, what, right after they made this. Then we see the Jeep, the two police cars, two police cars following now. Uh, two different police cars, which is a problem. One has a badge symbol on the door. One has a star, which suggests it's city and county. The helicopter has a star on it. So we have... FCC, city cops, and county cops. County cops have no reason to go after anyone here. This is really silly. But it's okay, because that car disappears shortly. Uh, the police follow the Jeep down. Geography is actually accurate for the dirt road. It curves around back by the field and comes down. We got Mark and Nora. We got the helicopter, Mark and Nora, back and forth. And then we see the Jeep passing the football goalpost and the helicopter flying above it. So we might notice they're getting closer to the school. And in my notes, I said, I think they switched directors once they were on the dirt road, because suddenly, you know, location's accurate, and it matters. The Jeep slows, we get a shot of Nora, and then we go cut to the Jeep going off the road again, down a steep hill, and there's somehow a police car now on the other side of them, even though that, I don't know where that's coming from, because it wasn't behind, it wasn't chasing them. And we get three cars following them, shot of the helicopter. Then on the field, it's the Jeep and just two cars, so I guess one of them crashed, and we missed it. I think that might be my last continuity complaint for this one. The county car is gone. I'm glad about that. Mark is standing up in the Jeep, and he keeps talking again. Everyone listen up. It's not over yet. It's just the beginning, but it's up to you. I'm calling for every kid to seize the air. Steal it. It belongs to you. And we get the shot from the side of the Jeep. 
as another police car is joining the chase and the Jeep starts to pass the fans and enter the field. He says, speak out. We get a shot of Donald and some other guys on the speaker truck. They can't stop you. The Jeep from the front and Mark's mouth. Oh, I did have one more complaint. Mark's mouth does not match his words. <laughs> and in the script, we get an insert of Watts here where he says, he's calling for total anarchy. <sighs> Mark says, find your voice and use it. At this point, Donald and others, uh, Corey and some others are running toward the Jeep. Keep this thing going. The Jeep passes an FCC van, which shouldn't be there. Oops, I had more. Uh, he says, pick a name. We get a crowd shot. Uh, Janie behind a bunch of people we don't know. Go on the air. It's your life. Take charge of it. Do it. We get a shot of Nora. Try it. Try anything. Another crowd shot with Janie in a different spot. Wedding dress girl and Shep Shepard are right up front. He's got his microphone out ready to probably ask her some interesting, insightful question. And back to Mark and Nora's. He says, spill your guts out and say shit and fuck a million times if you want to. We get a wider shot with the crowd surrounding the Jeep and the segment ends. Gen Xers are born between 1965 and 1980, which means at the time of this film in 1990, they would have been between the ages of 10 and 25 years old, mm-hmm. which makes this such a perfect Gen X film. Everyone watching it would have basically been in middle school, high school, college, yep. just out of college, um, into the, I don't know, beginning of the, the their working world. And this is... But Gen X finds its voice film. You have that rage of adolescence. The childhood comforts are over, assuming you had a good childhood, but a lot of these suburban kids would have had, not all of them, trust me, <laughs> but would have had good childhoods or at least reasonably good ones. And now they're facing these adult choices and life is ahead. But Gen Xers were more independent from previous generations in that they're the first generation growing up with two parents working. Again, talking Mm -hmm. more white middle class here, which is the focus of the film because people of color, um, other people have had two parents working (laughs) in lower wage jobs forever. But for the suburban kids, this is the first time a lot of them had two parents working. And it wasn't uncommon to be alone at 10, 11 years old. I know I was watching my younger siblings um, by ages nine or ten, while my parents worked, and we start seeing the trust that we had as kids. By the time we hit middle school, high school, we're seeing the cracks in corruption of systems, but ugh, we didn't really. I don't. You probably know this better than I would, but prior to these Gen X type of films that were coming out in this area, were there any films for teenagers that were really addressing like? rebelling against systems or against no instead we got um (laughs) slasher films and 80s comedies which were essentially adults are useless just do your own thing it wasn't rebellion so much and we have as we've talked about several times on the show 90s talk radio which gave way to the 2000s and youtubers and podcasting and it's awesome because we have so many more perspectives and people with access to Mm -hmm. microphones like he's talking about here that never had access to them before um, finding larger crowds finding their audiences of course the downside of that is some more more disinformation is easily spread and rise in conspiracy theories as as well and well, also the 90s, you had a more stable political environment with Clinton as president and the rise of the X-Files. So you had yeah. a, 
place very much ready for conspiracies and any theory about anything. And now Gen X kids are in our 40s and in our 50s and there's even more erosion. Like fewer mm-hmm. of us are religious, fewer of yep. us believe in political institutions. So <laughs> we put up with them. <laughs> yeah. I would say after what you just said, I I think I appreciate where they filmed this more. Filming up in Saugus and Santa Clarita, which at the time was still being built up. And we see some of that in the movie with the construction yeah. of a, like a neighborhood where all the houses match. Because this is basically a commuter community where, yeah, the parents aren't going to be there. Right. Kids will go home after school and be by themselves most of the time. And they're living in houses where all the houses are the same. And the whole neighborhood is just a bunch of matching stuff, which is exactly what they all want the students to be. Exactly. So we were looking for things that it's weren't a good psychology. Stuck. So yeah. that was MTV and it's unfortunate their chase scene happened on one block of that, but that block of that was a good block. There's construction, there's houses that all look the same, and it's boring. And we know the parents are absent and think teens just want to be happy. <laughs> so while we have millions taking up mics around the world, most of them are still men. Yes. Eighty percent of podcasters are men. Well, almost 80%. And women making up only about one out of five podcasters make up even fewer producers of podcasts. Hmm. My own producer is a man. He's okay, though. No. <laughs> <laughs> so I would like to plug five women podcasters we should all be listening to. However, if these five shows aren't your particular interest area, just do some basic research on women in podcasting and <laughs> Whatever you're into, I'm sure there is a woman or many women podcasting about it. So my number one and my personal favorite is Elizabeth Cronies McLaughlin, who does a daily news roundup. And she's also the founder of the Gaia Project for Women's Leadership and the host of the Flip Out podcast. I'm just amazed with how much research-based work she's able to put out Mm -hmm. on a daily basis just with her podcast, just with her daily broadcasts on Patreon and running a business and being a single mom of two at the same time. Second is Jessica Mason-Piclo and Imani Gandhi, whose podcast Boom Lawyered is about sex, the law, and your body. Mm. And I really enjoyed that one. Third is Gaslit Nation with Sarah Kensier and Andrea Chalupa. Gaslit Nation, well, Sarah Kensier and Andrea Chalupa are experts on authoritarian states, and they've been warning us about election hacking even before the 2016 election. So many things they've talked about on their podcasts for (laughs) the past at least five years have come true, and they take a deep dive on the news. And they deliver analysis, history, context, and really sharp insight on global affairs. Highly recommend. Number four is The Guardian's Jessica Valenti. And she brings interviews, advice, and real-life stories from the front lines of feminism. She talks about everything from periods or the lack thereof, cyberbullying, objectification, abortion, sex education, and it's a good place for People of all sexes and genders to share questions and thoughts about issues facing women and feminism. And then number five, director Marquette Jones from the film Forgiving Chris Brown started a podcast called Directing Magic, 
It's relatively new. It's only been around for a year, and it's a way for her to encourage and inspire fellow filmmakers and spotlight women working in the business. She has a lot of screenwriters, writers, producers, directors, people from all sides of the business on her show. So I know, especially with directors in the film industry, we have women highly yeah. underrepresented. So give Marquette Jones and Directing Magic a listen and... Or, uh, see, I was going to say if you want to listen to a man, you can listen to one of my shows, but... <laughs> That's really, that was all really serious. The movie, I was, the show I was going to promote today was The Room, because I mentioned Samurai Cop. Well, that's okay. Oh, to be fair, the, the Room Minute, <laughs> while being about a stupid movie, and is often about very serious stuff, and about the misogyny in that movie, and about the weird, like, story structure elements. So we do get into serious stuff about filmmaking and society. We also have stupid fun. And you can find The Room Minute on all your podcatchers and social media. And if you want to hear more feminism, social commentary, political commentary, all about music, you can listen to my podcast, Life as a Playlist, and you can follow Life as a Playlist on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Speak out! They can't stop you! Find your voice and use it! Keep this thing going! Pick a name! Go on the air! Your life! Take charge of it! Do it! Try it! Try anything! Fill your guts out! Say shit and fuck a million times if you want to, but you decide! Fill the air! Steal it! Keep the air alive! Follow this show at Pump Up The Minute on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or check lemmingdrops.com for links. Talk hard! Everybody knows Everybody knows That's how it goes